Hello listener, Matt here. Support Ben, read his ramblings, or find further notes on this show at securitized.com, spelled S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y-Z-E-D.com. Welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Gentlemen, you know, I don't ask you nearly enough about your own geographic locale. I I need to know, how are the insects like in Kentucky, Matt? Are there a lot of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you you name it, we've got them. And I, I don't think that I'm too geographically diverse from where you live in Louisiana. But yeah, we've got mosquitoes, we've got uh, lightning bugs or fireflies, however you want to call it, cicadas. Yeah, lots of bugs. And and how about you, Rafti? Are the insects pretty wild in Austria? No, no, not at all. <laughs> it's it's always always funny when I tra- drive somewhere. And basically, as soon as I leave Austria, like my windshield, apparently, like it's not used to having bugs on them. And um, in Austria, this almost never like I, I drive for weeks without hitting anything. Gotcha. Gotcha. The way so, that Europe is, is superior to America. In that <laughs> one respect, at least. Austria, <laughs> yeah, <fewer laughs> bugs. So so let me ask you this, Rafti, when you leave Austria, would you be willing to pay someone to remove all those insects from your from your windshield? I go to like a car washing like okay. machine. Yeah. So, so almost a bug bounty. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a long, torturous way to get to that dad joke, I tell you. Um, we're <laughs> we're going to talk about a current event that is sort of uh, tangentially related to bug bounties and when a bug bounty might not be a bug bounty and instead may be a felony. Um, uh, gentlemen, I shared with you an article and, uh, Rafti says he's found other articles on the same topic, but for purposes of discussion, uh, with the audience, I'm going to put a link to, uh, an article about this subject and we'll just bring you briefly up to speed. Um, the article comes from the wall street journal and it was, uh, sent to us by my good friend and colleague, Mike Allen. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. He's been a previous guest on this show. And, um, It's about a gentleman who was a senior security officer at a small company called Uber, who I think does something with cars. And uh, uh, this security gentleman is currently facing federal prosecution for his involvement in dealing with an alleged hack. Um, and let's see, do, do either of you want to do a quick summation of the thing? The article did, a, I think, a fairly terrible job on several points, including messing up the timeline. It wasn't really laid out in a very comprehensive way or, or, or comprehensible way. Um, do either of you want to take a stab at it or uh, do you want me to try to distill it down? Oh, I can, I can take a stab at it just from, from reading the article. And again, it's from the Wall Street Journal and, and, uh, it's always tough to to break down legal cases uh, when they're being written on by journalists because they don't always, and in fact, hardly ever get all the facts right. And like you said, the timeline was was a little bit screwy. 
but the nuts and, and bolts of it were that uh, Uber had a CISO or, or someone in the CISO type role where they're the chief security officer uh, were contacted by an outside third party group or individual saying that we've um, discovered basically a security vulnerability and we've exploited that vulnerability and now removed or taken or accessed um, data uh, from Uber uh, servers. And therefore we're demanding payment for uh, return of, of this data to you. Um, the CISO took it and um, uh, consulted legal counsel. Again, I, I think Uber is a publicly traded company, so I'm sure they're. I think they were at that point, which okay. is which is salient to the conversation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So and it wasn't made clear in the article either. Yeah. So obviously, there's some some layers and some some legal stuff and uh, procedures and things. But anyways, the uh, the CISO decided to uh, pay the individuals or uh, group um, for discovering this flaw in their system. But he did it under the auspices of, okay, this is, we have a bug bounty program that we would pay someone to discover vulnerabilities. Um, and so therefore um, he, he sent them, I think a hundred thousand dollars is what the, the article said. The, uh, the recipients of the money signed some NDAs and, and disclosure forms, returned the data, case was closed. Excellent, excellent. A, a couple of things I just want to tweak here. Um, I think after they signed the non-disclosure agreements, they agreed to destroy the data mm. uh, instead of returning it. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And the data in question was 57 million data elements, and it wasn't described well in the article, but the impression that I got, it was PII belonging to at least 57 million Uber customers. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's kind of what I took away from it. So we're kind of assuming that this is names, addresses, possibly some payment information. Could routes. be their cell phone number. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So some significant PII. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, excellent. Excellent. All right. So <laughs> pulling this apart. Uh, oh, oh, and I think the next big thing is the 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 reason for the article is. He, because of that action, because of his choice to do that, is being prosecuted by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, who is calling this uh, obstruction of justice. And it's not necessarily simply because of his choice and what he did in this matter. It's also because uh, this breach occurred in 2016. Prior to 2016, Uber had suffered another breach that was not discussed in detail in the article at all. Mm -hmm. And the FTC, which has taken itself to be sort of the federal watchdog of corporate entities that suffer breaches, uh, was investigating the prior breach when the 2016 breach happened. And because they were conducting that ongoing investigation when the 2016 breach occurred and the CISO did not inform the FTC that they were handling it in this manner. Now it looks like obstruction of justice because he's covering up this second breach. That's, that's kind of what I took from it. Right. Right. And, and the, the term breach is in, in their eyes interchangeable with the term bug bounty. Yeah, I think that's what all of this kind of kind of hinges on is okay. Yep. You know, an incident occurs. What term do you use to describe it? And uh, the CISO is saying, no, this is a part of our bug bounty program, and the FTC is saying, no, this was a breach. 
And I think this is really good that I think we should drill down on this. Uh, bug bounties are kind of controversial in our industry, um, <clears throat> explicitly for this purpose, because you're kind of rewarding bad behavior. But um, the question is, when is it a bug bounty program and when are you rewarding an attacker? I think I don't have a certified ethical hacker uh, uh Credential. Do you have, do either one of you have that? No, I don't know. Okay. I, I am familiar with it though. And I am familiar <laughs> with the process of ethical hacking. And one of the principles in there is non destructive activity. You don't actually go through and break stuff, even if you discover the vulnerabilities. You don't steal 50 million data entries and hold them hostage as part of your exploit, even if. Even if your mandate allows you some judgment as to what you can engage in as the fake attacker, you still shouldn't do that. Rafti? Yeah, but we talked about this, yes, uh, like uh, last episode. A couple weeks ago, a yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't yesterday, but in my mind. Um, <laughs> like, if it, does it, like, the intention, what was the intention, and what if the intention, of course, leads to to a different outcome and then sort of like changing my behavior according to this. And apparently they reached out and apparently they decided, like uh, the both of uh, parties decided that they sort of like agree that they are destroying it. They're not like, even if the data has been collected, uh, we don't know about what sort of attack it was. And um, if this data maybe like um, was part of like um, the, the method they used, that it's only an exfiltration uh, that they did, and maybe it was not them actively being in control of what is getting exported. And then they find themselves with those millions of user data and then reaching out to them again and then agreeing to it. So it's it's a little bit difficult, and I think uh, the, the okay. is a little bit more nuanced uh, uh, in that regard. Possibly. And, and, possibly. And, and what I think is is interesting there as well is that they then uh, plead guilty for for like hacking. This mm -hmm. is uh, discussed there as well. So I think um, we can talk about this part of it and maybe talk about like if they could have like, and they didn't discuss this in the article, what sort of attacks they could have used and if this actually right. was an active thing or if it was just like, it, I don't know. And I agree with you right up to the point they got 57 million data elements. I don't think you do that by accident. I mean, it, that's not the sort of thing, you know, at that point, it no longer becomes research for a vulnerability. There is an active role occurring there. That is true, but we don't know how big this, like if it's just elements and like phone numbers aren't big. And this, I think, could have happened fairly quickly without them noticing that it is PII, which they're copying without them noticing like how destructive this, this actually is. And I agree, you were saying earlier, if they start copying and moving stuff out, um, even like when you design the attack, you should know that this probably uh, can involve stuff like this. So you maybe would announce this beforehand that you're doing this, that you're trying this or something, if you actually are doing this uh, for pen testing or something. Um, but it's, uh, and I, I, I copied, yeah. Rafti is, is is making the assumption that they were operating under any kind of ethical hacking rules, which yeah. has never been clear. And in fact, I think it's strongly implied that this was not 
a bug bounty, an ethical hack of any sort. This was a true uh, breach. <laughs> and let's say, and let's say we're giving them benefit of the doubt. Phone numbers ten digits long. Assuming each digit is one character, we're talking about fifty gig of data. Is that right? Do I have that correct? Uh, it, it, it could be, but yeah, yeah, easily. So this isn't they accidentally opened the wrong web page and a spreadsheet was there. This is. And they kept the data, obviously, you know, because in their initial claim to Uber, they say, we have it, as opposed to say, we saw it, which yeah. would be a different thing. You know, uh, oops, I accidentally typed in the wrong URL and they opened up their database to me. That's a little bit different than capturing the data and having a copy of it. And of course, I, I just want to make the point, maybe they weren't sure what they were downloading. Maybe they could only open it after the, the transfer was done. And so I'm just doing a little bit of devil's advocate here because sure. like, but you're no, not supposed like to download I'm stuff. not, yeah, but I'm not watching a 50 gig download on my like 300 Mbit connection as well. I just like, if I would leave it running probably on a, on a machine that I'm not currently working on and then come back later. And then I'm like, oh, well, ah, I have a okay. couple of phone numbers here. <laughs> and okay. now I'm, and I'm asking not... myself the question, what am I doing with it? And okay. then and I'm, uh, not, and I'm not a bug hunter. I'm not yeah, a bug hunter, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I would imagine that in searching for a vulnerability, you're not supposed to download data. You're supposed to find the vulnerability, identify it, but I don't know. I honestly don't. You are correct. Maybe it was inadvertent. That takes us to the next step, how they notified Uber, which was, mm -hmm. we got your data. <laughs> Give us, uh, what did they call it, a considerable amount or something like that? <laughs> 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 they they didn't specify a ransom, right? They just said uh, a significant yeah. amount. What do you think right? is fair? <laughs> you tell yeah. me what this data is worth. And to that to that end, I think the amount they agreed on, one hundred k, is fairly low. Like uh, to a company amount, like Uber, for that amount of data, it seems fairly low. Yes, you are. And correct. this is maybe the reason why I'm like, and that they agreed. To do this whole thing with the bug bounty thing, I think if they would have truly been malicious, I don't know if if um, like this is partly the reason why I buy into this and why I'm like, well, maybe being uh, being very sympathetic to being the devil's advocate and being like, maybe they did not actually want to do harm, and, and that's that's personal and identifiable okay. information. And I I'm like say, very for like protecting this, and, but I would maybe. say a hundred grand is a low amount for that amount of data. It's a low amount of money for that amount of data. It is, however, a significant amount of money for real work. I've been paid less to write books, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of remuneration for bad behavior, that seems pretty sizable. And it seemed pretty clear that they weren't just bringing the vulnerability to their attention because otherwise they could have said, we accidentally grabbed this data. We did a secure wipe. Here's our records of the secure wipe. Would you like the knowledge of how the vulnerability exists? That would be a different approach. This seemed almost pretty clearly mm -hmm. to be extortionate, which yeah. is what they ended up pleading guilty to is charges of extortion and uh, um, hacking, right? Yep. Now, here's here's a funny aspect uh, that you mentioned, Rafi. If they if they were really malicious, they wouldn't have signed the non-disclosure agreements, right? Yeah. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Uh, but I do remember from my few law classes in college that you cannot 
have a binding legal agreement for criminal activity. You cannot sue your mugger, or your mugger can't sue you if you defend yourself against the mugger. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a thing, right? You, you can't hire a hitman and then sue them for breach of contract when they don't actually go through with the hit. It doesn't work that way, right? Um, so the very idea of getting your own hackers to sign and abide by a non-disclosure agreement is on its face kind of ridiculous. And while I am not a lawyer, guess who was? Who? The CISO who's being charged. Oh, he's with a lawyer? Of, he was yeah. a, he, not only was he a lawyer, he's a former federal prosecutor himself. Yep. Oh, so he's familiar with the ins and outs and nuances of all this. He should be. He should be. <laughs> okay. Um, I must have missed that part of the article. Yeah. Let's go ahead and name him because he was named in the article, Joseph Sullivan. And um, he seems to be a pretty interesting character. So uh, I think he should have known. Now, again, not all lawyers know all law things, which is why even lawyers get special attorneys when they're facing certain charges. And Sullivan's attorney made many comments in this article as well. Um. <clears throat> They, the authorities were able to follow up on the attackers based on information shared with them by Uber that were the signed NDAs Mm -hmm. because they were digitally signed. And and the Wall Street Journal calls this a digital fingerprint. I think we all kind of know it's a digital signature. Um, And it was through Adobe software, right? Like Adobe PDF or something like uh that? uh Uh-huh. And again, if you're going to be a criminal, be a smart criminal, be a Hans Gruber, you know, don't, don't give, don't give the person you're extorting money from, uh, identifying information in which to locate you and implicate you. If you put your digital signature on something, it's kind of hard to deny that you were the one doing the crime. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's an interesting twist because I, from, from my reading of this article, I got the impression that uh, this uh, Sullivan, is that his name? Uh, yeah. uh, that, that Mr. Sullivan, once he got it in his head that, okay, we can pay these guys. We can we can give them their money. We will have the details of this exploit and this vulnerability as long as they agree uh, to to our assertion that this is, a, this is a part of our bug bounty program. And of course, they'll have to disclose who's the, who they are uh, to be able to, to do that properly. So it sounds like he kind of talked them into or, or, or coerced them to agree with him that, yeah, we'll give you money for this as long as you come forward and you, 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 you sign these documents. Otherwise, um, yeah, it's going to be reported as a breach and you're going to be investigated for criminal activity and stuff like that. So it sounds like he kind of gave them an out. Um, but that's that's also a form of extortion. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. That that, that yeah, is yeah. one of you can't blackmail your blackmailer. That you know, <laughs> it's like hackback. You're not allowed to do that. And maybe what, he was thinking like a federal prosecutor. But go, I'm sorry, Rafi. Go ahead. What I was confused about is that the payout. I agree with you, Matt. And I was confused about the whole thing. Like, how do they sign an an NDA? And but and still want to get paid in Bitcoin. I just don't get it because they were paid in Bitcoin still. So the hundred k U.S. dollars were paid in Bitcoin, and I was a little bit confused about this as well because they didn't want to fill out a time ten ninety nine. They're probably also going to get paid for tax evasion. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. Or maybe another thing, maybe they weren't uh oh no, we now know who they were. Were are yeah. they are they US yeah. citizens? I haven't oh. read this in the article. No, uh, I the just article didn't make it clear. One name looked very American, one name looked like it could be something else, but who knows? Because okay. America is a melting pot. The funniest thing about that is two of them signed NDAs. There were three attackers, and the third one was smart enough to say, fuck no, I'm not putting my name on anything. <laughs> Individual one. <laughs> <laughs> Unnamed co-conspirator, right? right. Yeah. And, and that, that person not only didn't sign the NDA, but the other two felons who, who pled guilty to uh, the extortion and hacking charges gave as part of their plea agreement they had to tell everything they knew to the prosecutors and they one of them told the prosecutors well that that third guy yeah i, I don't know if he deleted his copy of the 57 million entries right, right. you know we um, assume that he did but we have no confirmation that he did <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Matt, you as being like a professional in the data forensic sector as well, know like what, what is, does deleted mean? And like, right, right. How, yeah. How, how, how did they, how did they override it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Did they, did they uh, uh, encrypt it and delete the key or, or what? Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that this CISO had all this completely under control, uh, by the way. <laughs> this, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, this at, guy... at what point did he start trusting the extortionists? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you know. <laughs> So, all right, so here's a couple other aspects of this that, are, that have me kind of wander around the axle. Um, there are some jurisdictions. The U.S. is not one as of yet, which is why this uh, case is bringing so much notoriety in our industry. There are some jurisdictions where becoming a CISO, taking that position, does make you legally liable for actions that your organization takes on that could lead to negligence, that could lead to a breach, that could lead to an inadvertent disclosure of sensitive information. I've got a colleague in, in Norway who was really unsure about taking a CISO position because he said, even though Norwegian prisons are nice, I do not want to go to one. <laughs> and, and this can happen through something that ostensibly is no fault of your own. You know, the that's a that's a huge hammer to have to wear to go to your job and do your job right um so this case while it's not exactly about that might be setting a precedent for the us going down this road how how do you both feel about such laws and having that kind of liability oh it's a it's a double edged sword because you want for that for a person in that position to 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 have that that responsibility but at the same time, what kind of a sensible person wants that responsibility? <laughs> you know, who wants to put their, um, who, who, yeah, like you said, who wants to go to jail for something that happened to your company that you ostensibly should have controlled or, or had something in place for, but you can't be everywhere at, at, at all times. If you have an employee that uh, walks out with a USB drive full of all your company secrets, and you, are, are you supposed to go to jail for it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, as, as as the person who's not in that that position, yeah, it's easy for me to point the finger and say, yes, yeah, send him to jail. He should have. But if I'm the guy taking on that job, I'm going to be like, hell no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Of course, also because this position comes like it's only bad when it's bad. And, and how do you measure like, do you get like pay rate like 
um, additional money for each year where nothing happens. And then like, <laughs> how, how is it compensated? If it's only like you're like, and they said this as well, I mean, if you're only the scapegoat, uh, and I understand, like uh, you said this earlier as well, like they need somebody who feels responsible for all of this. But like, if you are only getting like the scapegoating part and don't get any benefits and rewards, if it's going good and you're doing a good job, um, that's like a horrible position. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's designed to be someone to be thrown under the bus right. when something right. bad goes on. And I don't know if there's an, an amount of money that I would accept that would lend me to take such a position and and it's i'm gonna i'm gonna under un, underline and emphasize what matt said the only people you're going to get who are willing to take that job are callously disregarding their own risk and therefore probably not a good candidate for that position <laughs> right uh yeah I, I i i can't imagine in good faith wanting to take that kind of a of a job on especially when you look at people also in the uh the c-suite you know you have the ceo the cfo they they don't hold any legal liability for 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 criminal charges i mean cfo do. does now oh, oh now the CFO CFO does. Okay. yeah because so, of enron okay okay so if the so graduate of the air force academy as a matter of fact Oh, really? <laughs> Gosh, Air Force only, Academy has a lot of weird people graduating from there. The only honorable one to kill himself, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yep. But uh, like the CEO, uh, I mean, you don't go to jail if you're the CEO of a big company um, and, and your company does criminal activity or, or, or something illegal or something. You get a slap on the wrist. Maybe you get fired from your job. And there's usually uh, uh, compensation written, like, like Rafti said, into those contracts so that um, even if you do get fired for a cause, you still have the, the the golden parachute to make sure that you can go somewhere else or, or retire or, or whatever. It doesn't sound like there's any type of those protections in place for a CISO. And the parachute is one thing, but also, of course, um, the, the CEO gets bonuses if the company does well and the CFO sometimes as well. And in regards to the CISO, uh, what I would say is like you were saying, maybe it's only a person who's like disregarding this and sort of being like um, unsensitive to those subjects, or he's just the opposite way where he's very draconic and like locks down all he's USB ports and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he's terrified. Yeah. And of course, and what what's the consequence of this? Um, it's he then is a hindrance in everything related to the business because like that's, that, that's email an, is I, off the table, of course. Like this is that's an obvious outcome. Yeah, and the yeah, and stuff like that. And we so we can predict that. Yeah, and this is not good. It's always like assessing the risk for the situation, um, and trusting people that they have like common sense or that they listen to sort of like the briefings and read the emails. And I think a couple of like a lot a long time ago uh, one of the episodes where where i think you talked about server updates and stuff and like that there always are those people who haven't read the emails there there always are and i mean if it's like something where you're doing something and turning something off and then they're like oh where is it going that's one thing but like <laughs> how often do you get emails in the us about like from your bank where they're like oh malicious emails are going out mm -hmm. and stuff uh, do you read this do you actually like <laughs> Or do you just delete it? Is this like the cookie thing where you're just like, yeah, accept all and whatever. Um, it's uh, like people are, and how can I be responsible for such behavior? You know? All right. And, and I'm going to say that the thing that really bugs me about this is what bugs me about most of these kinds of cases 
this may be used to set a precedent later on. Because uh, in the U.S., we use a lot of case law, which is any decisions made previously by other courts of similar notoriety can be used in future cases to establish outcomes. And like most precedent-setting cases, everybody here seems like a scumbag. <laughs> I don't like the hackers. I don't like the CISO. I don't like the FTC. I think all of them were kind of operating in bad faith. Definitely um, don't like Uber either. <laughs> <laughs> Lift all the way. <laughs> and, and and I'll be the first to admit, I, I have been a longtime user of Uber and Uber Eats. I, mm -hmm. uh, I really like the functionality. But this kind of shifty shadiness is really uh, disenchanting. Um, again, e let's let's give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Let's give the hackers the benefit of the doubt that they were just trying to do the right thing. Let's give the CISO the benefit of the doubt that he was trying to handle the best way for the company. Even with all that in mind, at the end of the day, it sounds like no one was really an advocate for me, the Uber customer whose PII got uh lost somewhere along the way <laughs> i mean i i could argue for for the CISO as well if he's like in good faith as you said like talk to them and said well you here let's handle this as a bug bounty and of course i think with the intent to not having to disclose it to all and scare everybody especially if actually they are going to delete it and you were right like at one point do you start trusting like the um the hackers i think this is a very bit a little bit iffy as well but sort of like if he's like we should not do this make this bigger than it is and like we're paying them we want to pay them and they're like accepting to to and even signing an nda and stuff i'm like i understand his reasoning partially here as well um i as a consumer like private um a data advocate i'd say like um, maybe Uber in general, and then I'm not sure if the CISO could has nothing nothing to do with the obstruction of justice. Um, but maybe this data should have been secured more, uh, like better. I don't know why it wasn't encrypted or anything. I don't know why. And I and the article yeah, doesn't talk about it as well. Hmm? Yeah, Sorry? technical. Yeah, the technical details about this are all completely uh, black boxed right now. We don't know what all actually happened, what all actually got out, or anything like that. Yeah, the reporting was you know facile at best. There were there was really no meat to it there. Yeah. Yeah, but from my point of view, if they're actually like, if I with good faith can say that there is no information out there that's actually harmful to individuals, I understand the reasoning that they are saying. Well. Uh, we don't start to making a fuss about it, you know? Okay, yeah, and, and, and that's kind of what it seems to me. And, and this is the problem with him being a former federal prosecutor, even more than just being a CISO, even more than just being a seasoned security expert, he should know that the appearance of this activity just looks wrong. It sounds yeah. wrong. It just has the wrong smell to it. And that in and of itself should cause pause to anyone trying to take this approach, even if what he was doing was truly what was best for, well, it sounds like it was best for Uber and nobody else. That That's really what it sounds like. Well, there's the old adage that it's it, it, it's never the crime, it's the cover-up that gets you in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, same thing happened to President Nixon, you know, with Watergate and all that stuff. It, I mean, if this had been handled just as a straight-up crime from the get-go, then it would have been 
one thing and they, they might have taken a small hit or something like that but now it, it looks like it's been covered up uh by multiple layers um and so uh yeah it's it, it's much worse now oh yeah. far more far worse because what the ftc would have done probably is increase the fines that they were going to force uber to pay increase the duration of the consent decree that they always like to impose on all the victims that they go and investigate. That would have been bad. And it would have been bad for Uber. It would have been bad for Uber's investors. It would have been bad, you know, it, but now you're adding actual crimes and, you know, potential prison time on top of it all. Yeah. Rafi, <laughs> in addition to the insect uh, uh, absence in Austria, what are your prisons like? <laughs> They're okay as well. I have never been to one, um, but I uh, the pictures they're showing in our newspapers, all fine. It's a, like Matt, you ever been to a Fed pen? Never, thankfully. <laughs> I, I, I've been to one. Um, not 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 as a not as a guest, <laughs> as a visitor, as a visitor. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, pretty pretty okay. Uh, a really? lot better than I expected. Uh, the federal penitentiary system, I think, is different than the states and, mm -hmm. and similar. Uh, I, I was impressed. The cleanliness, it, it seemed uh, uh, almost as, you know, I, I'd say nicer than many of the military facilities I've been stationed oh, in. Really? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and same oh. kind of thing. You have a routine, you have a uniform, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I still don't a... want to go to one, you know. <laughs> As Prison. an inmate, yeah, yeah, mm, no, it doesn't sound good. Neither. Yeah, um, all right. So uh, overall, was there was there any other aspect that you two want to talk about? On no, I think you were just going into what if this sets a precedent? Like, what oh, if yeah. this becomes case law and all? What is what should like other CISOs look out for, and should they be scared or like is there anything they can do? Basically, I, you know, I saw the possibility of maybe getting insurance for stuff like this, like getting legal insurance that covers this, you know? And I read in the article, I was reading that some uh, were actually advocating for this now, like to get their companies to pay for like insurance for their CISO so that this can be like um, handled in court if this turns out bad. Um, I don't know how this is in the US, but in, in Austria, if I get in legal insurance, they're always like, delays until you can actually get uh, them to pay your legal fees and stuff. And so is this something you would recommend? Like Matt, we, ben? we, we talked to an underwriter earlier on this show, uh, a few dozen episodes back, and she made clear that part of their um, offering was that they will defend you. The insurer will defend you in court, um, which I found pretty fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, we didn't get down into the nuts and bolts of this thing, but it seemed to me to sound like they're going to defend you right up until that point where you're found negligent or malicious and where the government is charging you with criminal action. And that's that's the distinction here that I find I find hard. I find this one tricky because when it's the federal government coming after you and charging with a crime, most of the other contracts fall away. Most of them have stipulations that say, oops, now you're no longer covered because you are now a criminal. You don't want the murder suspect to have the insurance covering their 
they're caught. Right, <laughs> right. right. It, it's troublesome. It's troublesome. And I can understand why the insurers want no part of that. Uh, usually that's for civil suits, I think. Um, right. I don't know. So, so in other words, yeah, as long as you're, you're being uh, civilly uh, sued, with regards to your role with the company and the company is, is on board with you and they stand behind the decisions that you made and you're acting in good faith and, you know, in the interest of the company, then yeah, they, you'll, you'll be defended. But, but yeah, once you take on some personal responsibility and some, some, some individual uh, decision-making was happening that wasn't in necessarily in the interest of the company, then that's when you're kind of left out to dry. And that was what this article kind of implied as well was that um, being the company that it is, Uber had checks and balances in place for handling this type of a, a breach or this type of an incident. Um, and he acted kind of on his own and made his own decisions with regards to the response to this without uh, without properly going through all the security teams and the, the C-suite and stuff like that. Well, I think his attorney made the claim that there were 30 people involved in the decision. Yeah, so his attorney's making yeah. that claim. Yeah, but, yeah. But then Uber is coming back and saying, "No, we didn't have any idea that he was doing this." Yeah, so he scapegoated a bit. But I was exactly this. This was my, my, my point here as well. I mean, is this who? What is the process? And do you see like? And of course, this depends on the size of the company. Of course, Uber is very big. They have their own legal department, and so you as the CEO. Um, like assessing it maybe with the team as well. And then I think the process for such a big company would be to hand it over to legal and them like deciding from a legal perspective, because yes, you might have an idea of like um, what the, the legal ramifications might be. But of course, with a company like Uber, we have Uber in Austria as well. I have Uber Eats as well and stuff. Like, you know, it's international. And and I was not even going to start with this. Is this European like citizen data we're talking about here as well? Because the GDPR has something to say about this as well and stuff. <laughs> but um, this is this is exactly the reason why I think like a CISO can make a technical and should make a technical uh, assessment and maybe in a smaller company also have a legal opinion. But if you're at the scale of Uber and you have international data and stuff, there should be a legal like team looking at over this as well, like with impartial eyes as well. So I'm like, um, I, and this is partly the reason why I'm like, how is this obstruct, obstruction of justice? You know, if it was not, and especially on his part, if it, I think should not be his role to go to like the FTC, um, maybe as a, maybe as a whistleblower or something, but technically I'd say, um, Legal probably should have been the the department. That yeah, read about. Yeah, general not, counsel not should be hanging on the hook for this a lot more than him. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Uh, and, and doom on that attorney. Now, talk about people who write really good contracts that protect themselves from any kind of liability. The lawyers, they they are they are really tightly protected. Yeah, no kidding. Better call and Saul. And 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 to the point of uh, how much this person, this uh, Mr. Sullivan, I think you said, uh, as an individual is responsible, I think you kind of have to go back to the, the role of a CISO or anyone in security. I've mentioned this many times before to, to friends and, and colleagues. A lot of what we do is in the shadows. A lot of what mm -hmm. we do is is without oversight. And I wonder if this was, uh, to, again, to be a little bit of devil's advocate, 
um, if he originally saw this incident as, oh, this is something that we can take or, or that I can take care of really quickly and easily. All it needs a hundred grand. I'll get these guys to delete it, sweep it under the rug. And I'm on to the next thing because I had 20 things uh, on the docket earlier uh, in the day. This landed on my desk at noon. I got other things to do at two o'clock in the afternoon. So let me just take care of this because I'm dealing with other security implications being as big of a company. I'm sure that they're, they have stuff happening and notifications constantly. So we, you know, not, not to say that he shouldn't have taken it seriously or, or, or done the proper channels, but sometimes as a security professional, you're just overwhelmed with so much other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Let me just, if, if there's an easy out on this, let me take the easy out and move on. Yeah. The regulators have a, a name for that. It's called negligence. <laughs> <laughs> no, but especially, and I agree with Matt, like, especially if they already have a bug bounty program and you Ben said this in the beginning as well, like bug bounty is controversial exactly because stuff like this can happen. Uh, and we're paying sort of like the bad guys. Um, and it's like, and from a, from a company perspective, going with this route saying, well, we, we leave intentionally, we move fast, we move maybe a little bit dirty, and then we are going to pay the people who figure out that we have vulnerabilities, like external people, um, instead of like doing audits, paying people up front to check for vulnerabilities and stuff, you know? Um, maybe that's then not negligence on part of the CISO, maybe that's negligence on part of like a company like um, decision how they want to move forward and how they want the to culture. do it. Culture, yeah, exactly. But it's like acceptable at this point. Com it's bounties are something, too. yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it's bug bounties are an industry practice at this point. Yeah, Although, the article and, mentioned it's a six hundred and fifty-seven million dollar a year uh, industry? industry. I mean, it, that's that's that, yeah. that blew me away. I didn't realize it was as big as it is. I got to learn how to find bugs and, and do well. Ethics. And to and to that point, though. I've, I've never participated in a bug bounty, but I do keep up with some of them, you know, Microsoft, Apple, I mean, er, you know, uh, Amazon, every, every company in the world that, that writes code, probably Rofty's company uh, maybe has a bug bounty program as well. Bug bounty programs aren't unusual, but a hundred thousand dollar payout for, for finding a bug that is unusual. I've seen bug bounties and the, typically they're in the hundreds to maybe thousands of dollars. I don't think I've ever seen a six figure bug bounty paid out. There were big ones earlier in the bug bounty mythos, you know, mm, Okay. Uh, and every year at like Pwn to Own, mm. they, those major vendors have some big ticket items. Tesla gave a car away if you could break its keyless entry. So right. there, there, there are some sizable ones out there, but you're right. 100K does stand out of the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like in all, in Europe, there are a couple of reports that Teslas are being stolen, like fairly frequently, around here. Oh, just so you know. So if you drive a Tesla, this should not reassure you. Watch <laughs> after your car. <laughs> Get a physical I, key for your car. Well, I don't understand stealing something that's basically a mobile lowjack, though. I mean, it isn't it. <laughs> It can be traced anywhere, yeah. Yeah, it's beaconing all yes. of the time. No, I mean, I it's agree. like saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. I, I that, don't know what they're doing with the cars. I, I don't know. <laughs> that that kind of blows me away. It, it, you know, in a Faraday cage. Yeah. Someone <laughs> no, but... once stole a GPS unit from me, and I was like, um, Why? do you want to just <laughs> paint yourself with the black and white stripes of the jailhouse? You know, I mean, it, it, what, what is it you're trying to accomplish here, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, now, let's let's take this a little step further. 
Let's say we don't have a law that says the CISO should go to jail when something screws up. Let's say we do it based on reputation. Let's say we do it based on you're held as personally responsible as a professional. Sullivan was fired by Uber in 2017, the year following this. The article does not make it clear whether it was because of this or because of something else or, you know, who knows for well, whatever reason. At that point, he had two major security breaches on his hands. So I think that they would have cause to fire him at that point. But I don't, but, but yeah, we don't know. We don't know. We don't, maybe he was just an asshole. I don't know. Right. <laughs> he was, he was taking too many free muffins off of the breakfast table. He's currently a security executive at Cloudflare. Oh, interesting. A company that I, big. yeah, I kind of respect Cloudflare. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, they have a yeah. very good reputation. Yeah. Uh, to the, the firing, article, the, just well, some additional information, it was the new CEO. It was the new CEO. So a new CEO the, came in and got rid of the old uh, staff. Okay. Okay. House. Yeah. All right. Um, but yes, here's it my was, question. It was done with the reasoning that he he is like mishandled something, and despite that, Cloudflare hired him. So, as you That's already said, one was. This yeah. is my problem. This is my yeah. problem. Let's say we're not going to handle it with a criminal proceeding. Let's say we're going to handle it based on reputational. Somebody gets fired from a company like Uber. Why should they be able to go and get hired by a Cloudflare? Conversely, to play devil's advocate. Should your former employer be allowed to blackball you so that you can't get employment in your industry elsewhere? How do we work this out? How do you make that balance? Mm, well, okay. My first question here is, did Cloudflare hire him before the criminal charges were filed against him? It's very possible. It's very possible. So well, it's possible that they did, and it's also possible that they didn't. So there's a good chance that they had no idea that he had any any kind of criminal uh, uh, charges coming against him, and in which case he's just another security guy with a with a pedigree of coming from Uber. Then yeah, of course, why wouldn't you hire him? Now, if they hired him knowing that he had criminal charges or the criminal charges been had been filed prior to his being hired, then that's a different thing. They didn't do their their background checks properly and their due diligence before they hired him. But at the same time, uh, yeah, to your point, should should an employer be able to blackball you from your industry? A again, as a pr practicing security professional, that's terrifying. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to uh, have one mistake be a black mark on my career for the rest of my life. I mean, yeah, I can go out and, and you know start my food truck and you know get completely out of the industry, but but that's how I make my money. That, uh, you know, even a police officer or I mean any other industry. You can go to another jurisdiction, you can go to another city, you can go, you know, someplace else and continue doing whatever it was that you you had done previously. I don't know why security uh, CISO type jobs would be any different. Oh, I will see. Okay. All right. Uh, let me, let me back on that one. Uh, there, <laughs> there, there was a cop who um, was uh, fired from one of his jurisdictions for uh, negligence that resulted in the death of a citizen. He went and found some small town several time zones away that hired him to be on their police force. When it came to the attention of people who followed the case, um, that city council turned around and fired him and started investigating the police chief who hired him. Mm -hmm. Is that good or bad? And should that person not be a police officer anymore? How many mistakes do you get that end up in the loss of life of an individual? 
You know, I, and, and honestly, you know, I've never been hired as a CISO. I imagine that Uber pays pretty good when you're at the C-suite. Yeah, and they, I would imagine, yeah. And the reason they're paying you is because they believe you're that good. Right. If you fuck up, if you can't make it work, should that be your one strike? It's different than you and me running our small businesses and, you know, what have you. Um, should you not be at that elevated position again? Rafti? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I sort of like when it comes to stuff that's that obvious, like um, like killing somebody by accident can happen, of course, but like, uh, I know. Um, but in regards well, to- Uber, When you say, ah, no, does that mean you shouldn't be hired <laughs> as a cop again? <sighs> I don't want to answer this question, please. So, um, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But in general, like maybe to Uber to put some context there as well. I don't know if, we, if you all remember this, but- Uber was, it still is, I think, a little bit controversial in regards to like how they moved into those sectors. Like um, taxi companies have been suing them and stuff, and and it's still like we're now calling it the gig economy. But like in general, it was always something where it was very controversial. Also, from a legal perspective, how are they like employed? In this article, they even call them employees, but technically they aren't and stuff and so they're they're a contract well, they're contractors well, yeah, the, the drivers are yeah the drivers exactly are, are drivers are, are independent contractors but, yeah, but uber does have employees in it that is true that is true but in regards to in regards to all of this like that we have to do all of this clarification means that they are willing to go like on a legal perspective on a very thin line like as a company as a company culture and this of course like how they like contract with the drivers and stuff so has nothing to do with the CISO. So I'd say like for Uber in particular, it's a very like bad case of, of looking at this. And I think like um, to, to Mr. Sullivan's like uh, person, maybe he just like wanted to do better, but he didn't got the time or was told to do it fast and dirty because like whatever legal stuff, we will deal with that later. Maybe his personal opinion. And of course the articles, all of them don't mention stuff like this, but I can give him like, um, I think there there is enough vagueness and enough like bad behavior from Uber in general that I can see him maybe trying or wanting to be like do better, um, especially as you said, like with the track record. I think he was with uh, eBay before as well, and like he had a couple of um, bigger companies before Uber as well. And so maybe he wanted to do better, but Uber as a company didn't want him to. Okay. So actually, I can I'll see. I'll push back on that one. One okay. of the things, yeah. one of the things my father told me before I went to the Air Force Academy was, you know, as an officer, you can always say no and resign your commission. Yeah. When you're told to, to commit an atrocity or a war crime, you don't have to, you know, mm -hmm. And that's nice to hear. I mean, you shouldn't have to tell an officer that. But yes, that, that is something that is always in your back pocket. I would imagine that if he found his corporate culture to be so corrupt and wrong, that he should have quit. Nothing was forcing him to stay there and take his big Uber paycheck. And he shouldn't have had to be fired the year following. That, 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 you know, again, I don't know the situation. I wasn't there. I don't know Mr. Sullivan. I don't know Uber. Um, but that just seems it, it, it's hard to tar either one of them with a with a brush either way, right? That's true. 
but I just say if the company culture is like very negligent, um, it's hard for you as an individual because you're, we as people always compare our work to the work around us. Like how hard working you are is always measured in a relation to the people you see working around you. And so if everybody is like just like rushing through stuff and, and maybe not looking twice at stuff, maybe this fosters the situation what Matt was talking earlier. Let's just, I, oh, I see an, an solution for this. Just go with that solution. And maybe he was just Dude. a person. Dude was a former federal prosecutor. I'm having a hard time cutting him some slack. <laughs> okay, I see. I see. I just I want to make sure that we, like, in, in talking about this, sort of, like, uh, bring up yeah, the possibility. Okay, okay. I, I, you know, I, I see you there. But if that were the case, I'd say let's go back over his case history, find all the people he put in prison, and see how many of them were given that same amount of slack. Right. That, that, that would be the standard I'd hold it to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. I really honestly don't know if we should have an individual scoring system for each of us as practitioners. You know, how many did we get right? How many did we get wrong? You know, should we be hired at Cloudflare? Should we not be hired? You know, that's a tough one to call. I, I, I think that. Oh. There are ways of creation, though. I don't think the prison thing is going to do anybody any good. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Criminal charges, and and again, to be fair, to to go back to the original point of of what is being charged about is that he deleted the data. That was the obstruction of justice. It wasn't that he had the bug, and that he didn't report the breach. Okay, and that he didn't report it, um, and yeah. so that, then the FTC. But but had he kept that data, or 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 the uh, had the data not been destroyed. Then the the that that would have gotten rid of the obstruction of justice as as I understand it, right? But but he. Didn't I, I don't I don't think that's the case. I think I okay. think the fact that he didn't make it apparent to the FTC okay. Okay. that he okay. took the steps to put it in the bug bounty program as opposed to calling it a reportable breach. Right. I think that was the thing. And of course, okay. the two arguments here is that he's saying that thirty people have been involved and and have known about this breach or whatever um bug bounty and um so that's the one thing and the other thing i think the new ceo who fired him told um uh i don't know if this was already in court but in one of the articles that i read he said that um like mr sullivan wrote him an email um where this whole situation with the bug bounty was like a very like portrayed differently and that they're uh, i i don't I'm not sure where the line was drawn in this email, but apparently he was not like the new CEO coming in was not aware that they have been pre uh, breached a second time. So, uh, and, okay. Well, yeah. And, and of course, uh, neither were the shareholders, which is who everybody <laughs> we actually bows to. Is, yeah, and of know. course the state, I think, or I don't know if the FTC, Ben, you were saying earlier, like, that they see themselves in charge of like protecting stuff like that and going after those people. Of course, in Europe, it would be like the government with the GDPR. Um, and I think like from that perspective, us as the people want to know uh, when our data is out there, when we and, have and been most owned. All US states have data breach notification laws. Some of them are more restrictive than others. California, where I think Uber is headquartered, is kind of like uh, a little EU. 
and they have basically the GDPR in their own state. So this should have been reportable 18 different ways. Um, and the fact that he mischaracterized it to the CEO kind of also leads us down the road of he really wasn't acting in good faith. At, at least that's the way it seems to me. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think we all agree. Um, we don't want bugs on our windshield and we don't want to go to prison unless it's in Austria. I'm changing my industry. I'm I'm going to open that food truck, I think, after all. <laughs> Let me know if you need a waiter or or you know, the guy to operate the cash register. I'm good at that. Cashier, yep. Yeah. Uh, all it, right. It feels um, great to be an InfoSec. <laughs> uh, anything else before we close out? I got uh, I got two little items. First, I want to thank Matt a lot for the new audio format of the show. Um, I want to thank Rafti for explaining that we needed the show notes to actually go into the podcast RSS. So now <laughs> they should be showing up in the feed. Um, and I want to just have a quick mention of um, uh, Jeff German, uh, a, a fellow um, who was a colleague of mine over 20 years ago when we were both working for the, the same news agency in Las Vegas. Um, it, it appears that a couple of weeks ago, he was probably murdered by the subject of one of his stories. Um, that person's being, uh, has been arrested and is being prosecuted now. Uh, it's a oh shame. Uh, Jeff was, a, a, even though I didn't agree with him on many things, I think I only really met him once. Um, he was a hell of a reporter and uh, a huge loss to that information industry. Wow. So, yeah. 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 Um, all right, then until next week, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Raphael Fiedler. And we'll catch you again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hello, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, or other InfoSec certifications? Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P dot com. Engage with us on Discord. Do a search for wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear your feedback on a future show. We are all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. All opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies or employers.